going on, everybody? It's your buddy. It's your pal, Spaz Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check, and this is WWE Last Week, your weekly look back at the week that was in the WWE. I'm going to start it off right away, i got to say, if my voice sounds a little bit hoarse, if I sound a little bit, little bit tired and a little bit excited all at the same time, just got back from a Destiny show, Destiny's Aggression show, which was really, really good, but I am on the verge of losing my voice. This pod might be a little bit shorter than normal, which is kind of unfortunate because we've got a lot of stuff to cover, but we've removed the NXT element from it, so maybe that will uh, will cut things down in some way, shape, or form. If you want to see the last few uh, NXT reviews I've done since they went sort of black and gold again, they will be available wherever you're watching slash listening. And uh, since I haven't done it in a while, if you've stumbled on this recently or for the first time or whatever, if you're watching this on YouTube right now, you want to listen to this in an audio form, you can go to Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, anywhere you get your audio platforms from by searching Spotify. Phoenix podcast. If you are listening to this in an audio platform and you want to see it on a video platform, even though there's really no video, it's basically a podcast on the internet, uh, you can find this on YouTube by searching Spaz Phoenix or on Rumble by searching Spaz Phoenix podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Spaz Phoenix and at Spaz Phoenix with a one at the end. You can find me on Instagram and especially if you want to see some pictures from the Destiny show that I was just at, at Spaz Phoenix. And uh, you can find the Spaz Phoenix podcast Facebook group. It may, uh, it might actually encourage me to do something with that group because I haven't done anything with it in a while. But if you check out Instagram or Twitter, you will see pictures from the show that I was at tonight recording this Sunday night. You guys will be listening to this Monday morning. So when I talk about what's happening next week on Raw, it'll really be today when you guys are listening to this. Um, Destiny show was really good, I should say, on, on a side note. First time I've gotten to see EC3 live. He was in the main event along with Kevin Blackwood, Aiden Prince, and Josh Alexander. Uh, Aiden Prince's faction now have all the gold in Destiny, and uh, for anybody that doesn't live in the uh, greater Toronto area in Canada, that probably doesn't mean very much, but it means uh, my guy Aiden Prince is now the Destiny World Champion and Destiny Next Generation Champion, and his two partners, Gabriel Fuerza and Von Vertigo, are the very first ever Destiny Wrestling Tag Team Champions. All that happened tonight. It was a lot of fun. Also got to see Masha Slamovich live, and she's really nice. I met her after the show. So that was a thing. That was a thing that happened. But let's talk as I say, there's not going to be any NXT in here, so which should be a little bit shorter, but we also have a pay-per-view to talk about, and we haven't done one of these in two weeks, because that's how it works around a pay-per-view. We don't need to talk about it. I should say, before we get started, I want to touch really, really briefly on the SmackDown before Extreme Rules, uh, just to touch on the idea that LA Knight is LA Knight again, turned on uh, Maximum Male Models. Uh, took the L.A. Knight moniker back uh, after a chair shot attack in the back. And Legato Del Fantasma debuted and uh, reinvigorated their their NXT feud with Hit Row, except it's not Electra Lopez. It's Zelina Vega, uh, which has a lot of people having a lot of feelings about that, which I really like it. I like Electra Lopez, don't get me wrong. She might be the Bailey of... <laughs> of Legato del Fantasma. Remember when uh, the four horsewomen first started becoming a thing and the first three got called up and Bailey stayed down. Now, I think Bailey stayed down because she had unfinished business in NXT. Um, Electra Lopez 
could use a little tightening up. I'm not a, a critic by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not a wrestler. I shouldn't tell wrestlers how to wrestle. But also, Zelina Vega is a good wrestler and a good mouthpiece and a good voice for a group. Now, the last group that she had was Andrade and Austin Theory and... I don't remember who else was in that, but that was happening in front of no fans in the COVID era, and we don't like to talk about that, so it's fine. So, there was some stuff on the go-home show to Extreme Rules that was not immediately effective to Extreme Rules, so I thought, why not touch on that? Touching on that as well, because it was the, uh, the, what do you call it, what's their terminology, the season premiere of SmackDown, and then obviously the season premiere of Raw came, uh, came after Extreme Rules and the season premiere of NXT, I guess, uh, was the day after that. We have new commentary teams, which I don't mind, if I'm completely honest. Uh, it's Corey Graves and Kevin Patrick on Raw. Kevin Patrick is, sounds like he's settling in a little bit, and I mean that in a good way. He's got a, he's got a really, really highly positive way about him. I think Corey Graves is going to pick on him like he picks on everybody else. Michael Cole on SmackDown is does not have Pat McAfee because Pat McAfee's still doing football things, but he's joined right now by Wade Barrett, which is, uh, I guess, a version of a call-up, I guess, from NXT. And NXT has Vic Joseph now joined by Booker T. Now, in the process, Nigel McGuinness is gone, which... I don't want to see the guy lose his job, but it makes sense. NXT UK isn't a thing anymore. And Jimmy Smith uh, is also gone, which is like... I don't really have anything to say about Jimmy Smith other than they put him in the Monday night host slot. And he did the Monday night host slot. I mean, most of that was under Vince, so there's only so much you can say. But I do like the addition to this being that they have a defined pay-per-view, or premium live event, I'll do the Simon Miller shaky hands, uh, they have a separate uh, pr uh, premium live event, now I've got to say it in my head, um, they have a proper pay-per-view commentary team, which is Corey Graves from Raw and Michael Cole from SmackDown, because those two also work really well together, as we saw the previous weeks on SmackDown after Pat McAfee left. Now, what I've heard, and this is rumor through the grapevine, don't take it uh, as anything other than a grain of salt, I messed up that metaphor. Apparently when Pat McAfee returns, he'll be coming back to SmackDown, Wade Barrett will be going back to NXT, and Booker T will go off and do Booker T things. I don't know if that's true. I think you could add Pat McAfee to Wade Barrett and Michael Cole, and I think as a trio, they would be not too bad. But uh, overall, the commentary thing is is what it is, and uh, the premium live event commentary team got to debut at the pay-per-view. That's how Jimmy Smith found out he didn't have a job anymore. He had a couple of good ideas for commentary, and Triple H said, well, give it to Corey and Cole because they'll be calling the match on Saturday, which is a really shitty way to find out that you don't have a job anymore, but, I mean, these things do happen. I'm going to touch very, very briefly on the show because, in all honesty, everything that can be said about the show has already been said, probably by more eloquent people than me. The six-man tag was hard-hitting as fuck. It was a great way to start the show. We did carry on some of the energy from the uh, Gunther-Sheamus match at Clash at the Castle. Now add in a couple of extra people and all that kind of thing. We told a very simple story of Sheamus getting taken out early. Um, there being a numbers advantage, three-on-two for the Imperium for the majority of the match. And Sheamus getting the comeback for the win. Now this gets Sheamus a win. It keeps the belt on Gunther because he didn't really suffer a loss per se, and it was a really cool way to start the show. I had said, or I think I said on my preview, 
I think matches like this are going to be the new Hardy spot. We know for years when the Hardys were in their prime and in their pomp, you, if they weren't in a title picture, you put them on first, you get the crowd up and going, and that really, really works. But now a whole lot of people run that more high octane style. It's not as unique as it used to be. So now I think you do something like this instead, and I think that's a good thing to do. Um, I'm going to touch on it once. I'm not going to go through all the different segments, but all the stuff with Miz beating up the gritty mascot and then thinking Dexter was in it and then Dexter choked him out afterwards and then Gritty kicked him. It's harmless. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't like the Dexter Loomis stuff. I get it. This is the stuff that Miz can do because the Miz can get his ass kicked by a mascot and still come out and be the Miz the next week. He's He's got, uh, people say this about uh, characters like Sami Zayn all the time, but Miz uh, gets overlooked in this conversation. He's figured out the WWE machine. He can be whatever they need him to be in a, in a heel way, the same way, and I'm, I'm not straying into hyperbole here, whatever they needed John Cena to be as a face, he would be it, whether it made him look awesome, whether it, no pun intended, or whether it made him look like an absolute dork. Miz, as a heel, does the exact same thing, performs the exact same role, and he does it without even scraping the main event, which he probably should before his career is over. That's my little diatribe on The Miz. This was harmless. It was all good. We filled out the pay-per-view with a lot of video packages. A lot of video packages. There was a long one on Charlotte Flair, which made all the right people upset because, you know, how dare she be white and blonde and have a successful career. But um, if we just want to throw these video packages in at random, we did them with the titles. When Triple H first took over, we did video packages on the U.S. title, video packages on the uh, Intercontinental Championship. Recently, we did a really nice one narrated by Paul Heyman on the uh, on the almost record-breaking uh, tag team title reign of the Usos, which was, it's cool because Paul Heyman's obviously associated with the Usos, but at the same time, Paul Heyman did all the voiceovers for Extreme Rules because he was associated with Philadelphia and ECW and all that kind of thing. Paul Heyman, as a voiceover guy, doesn't have to do just his guys. He can just be a guy telling a story because he's really good at telling a story. If you've ever seen uh, Paul Heyman doing his... I think it was a speaking engagement, and he tried to get everybody worked up into when Brock Lesnar beat the streak. It wasn't actually planned. Brock Lesnar just did it because he wanted to. Um, and there's another one going around that um, somebody put him in a tight spot by interrupting one of his speaking engagements. Why is my phone? Why? Why is this a thing? We need to put the phone away. There we go. Uh, somebody interrupted him with Chris Benoit chants while he was doing a speaking engagement about something else, and he went on a very dissecting diatribe on his on his thoughts on Chris Benoit. If you haven't heard that, go check it out. But also go hear him uh, give this small. I think it was like a lounge that he was talking in. Um, and he sort of planted this, just did enough to plant this idea that breaking the streak was never supposed to happen, and, and Brock Lesnar took things into his own hands. I think that's really cool. That uh, that has nothing to do with anything. That has to do with me talking about video packages on the pay-per-view. They did one on Charlotte. They did one on... Uh Bobby Lashley, I think, as well. And doesn't that lead us into Monday? We'll talk about that when we get to it. Liv Morgan versus Ronda Rousey is getting way more bullshit than it deserves. Um, there's the big spot in the corner where they propped up the chair and then it fell down. And oh my god, that's never happened ever in wrestling ever. Except it has. And you guys, your biases are showing. Um, kind of cool the way they played off. Uh, normally, you've got Ronda Rousey playing uh, the MMA person versus the quote-unquote pro-wrestling 
person. This time you had a uh, MMA person versus a weapons person, and then you put the weapons in the MMA person's hand, and Liv Morgan has her holy shit, what have I gotten myself into moment, which is all good. Liv puts Ronda through a table, which is nice. The triangle choke in the broken table, which I think is really nice. Uh, Liv Morgan is having a bit of a character shift, so as she's passing out... Um, as she's passing out, she's smiling. People are going to hate this comparison because there's a mixed martial arts tie-in uh, and Liv Morgan is going crazy and every time we do a crazy chick in WWE, obviously WWE is sexist. But think back years and years and years ago to, I don't even remember what show it was on to be completely honest with you, but there was a submission match and it was between Mankind and Ken Shamrock and Ken Shamrock had him in the ankle lock and then he did the mandible claw to himself, and he smiled while he did it, and he made himself pass out. And when they announced it, they announced Ken Shamrock as the winner by way of the mandible claw. And I thought that was so cool, because you had Mankind, who was about to pass out, and he was still crazy enough to be smiling. I am not comparing Liv Morgan to Mick Foley in any way, shape, or form, but it is like, okay alright, I'm crazy enough to, to do this, and I want you to be unsettled because we're going to do this again sometime. Ronda Rousey did get the win. Um, I'm really, really hoping this is leading to Ronda Rousey versus Shayna Baszler, but I haven't seen any indicators just yet. Drew versus Karrion Cross was disappointing for a lot of reasons. Mostly because I think a lot of people thought that the Drew McIntyre Karrion Cross match was where Bray Wyatt was going to show up. And that's neither one of these guys' faults, so I'm not going to hold that against them, because way too much, especially when we get to like WrestleMania season as well, way too much of the excitement about a match is not about the two guys in the ring. It's like, oh, who else is going to get involved? Is somebody else going to come in after the match? Whatever. And fans put that shit in their own heads. And Bray Wyatt being involved in this particular match was something that a lot of fans assumed and a lot of fans got all of our ideas together because that's what the Bray Wyatt character inspires. You can't hold it against this match that people that were not involved in this match were not in this match. That's just my take on it. I will say, however, that the match was a little bit awkward, a little bit slow. Um, I don't think, and I, I thought it would be, I'll be completely honest, this, this proved me wrong, I thought the um, dynamic between these two guys, the um, chemistry, that's the word I'm looking for, thank you brain, I thought the chemistry between these guys was going to be great and they were going to kick ten shits out of each other, uh, didn't really happen, it was really awkward, obviously the mace from uh, Scarlet for the, uh, for the win was really, really lame. There was a, I thought there was a cool bit where um, Karrion Cross refused to be strapped in to Drew McIntyre and there was a pre-match beatdown and he was using the strap that Drew was already attached to uh, as, a, uh, as a fulcrum to sort of pull him through different things and through the ring posts and all that kind of thing because if only one person is actually attached to the strap it does become a hell of an advantage in a beatdown. I thought that was cool and then, as much as I hate this expression, and then the bell rang, and it just wasn't wasn't what I wanted it to be. And I think that goes for a lot of people, but I think a lot more people are chomping at the bit to find something bad to say about Karrion Cross and Scarlet. The presentation of Karrion Cross and Scarlet is great. Just don't put them in convoluted stipulations like this one is what I would say. Put them in brawls. Put them in like no holes barred where they can do terrible things to other people, but the whole 
because there's mechanics to it, right? People say about The Fiend, yes, we're going to talk about The Fiend a lot. You know, The Fiend, there's all this lore, there's all this storytelling, there's all this supernatural stuff, and then the bell rings and he has to put a headlock on. Well, Karrion Cross is not a supernatural character as much as the critics want to try and make it out like he is. But he is a badass, and he does bring a certain aura with him, and he's got this, this real, his real-life... I don't know, partner, wife, girlfriend, whatever Scarlet is, that comes down to the ring looking like she's practically in climax, like, worshipping this guy, which is cool, especially because you know it's real, because there are a couple in real life. If they weren't, it would be sort of a... Oh, uh, it would be sort of a Lana Dolph Ziggler situation. We don't need to do that. But, like, you, you have all that, and he's all ready to go, and then, okay, hold on, let me pause for a second and Velcro up this strap on my wrist. It's a break in that story. So this was, I don't mind saying it, this was kind of a fail. I liked watching them try, but when we got to the, especially with the with the end, this was really bad. Belair versus Bailey was Belair propaganda. Belair's friends have been taken out. She has no help. Bailey has all the help. Bailey owns her through most of the match, but Bianca Belair is awesome because she can lift stuff and that other reason that we're not supposed to talk about. And what they've done with Belair to uh, keep the agenda going is now buried the newest faction in WWE. You've buried somebody that everybody loves in Bailey, two returns that everybody was really excited about, a faction that had a lot of hope. You just buried your brand newly crowned women's tag team champions. Good job. Belair is stale as shit. This is not her fault. Let me be clear. This result, and my reaction to this result, is not Bianca Belair's fault, or Bianca Blair's fault, whatever her real name is. Not her fault. But she is the instrument. It's it's the John Cena thing. I mean, if somebody walked up to you and said, I'm going to give you John Cena's career, you wouldn't say no. If somebody walked up to you and said, we're going to push you to the moon regardless of all logic like they've done with Bianca Belair, you wouldn't say no. I don't blame her, and she's not bad, and yes, she can lift things, and they, oh, she, she did the kiss of death off of the turnbuckle, the two people at once, okay, well, they're two of the smaller people you have on your roster, and she just kind of dropped them, so there's that, uh, not a fan of that, the, the belt needed a refresh, this brand new faction needed a crown jewel, no pun intended, and they didn't do that, <coughs> Edge versus Balor, I was almost going to say Edge versus Bel Air because my writing is terrible. And uh, Edge versus Bel Air in a last person standing match would be hilarious. Um, it was a great match. I think you could tell that these are two people that have wanted to work with. I mean, especially from Balor's point of view because he's flat out said it. Um, Balor has wanted a match with Edge for a long time in his real life. He wanted to put it on his, on his bucket list, right? Uh, great match, back and forth. The story really starts when everybody else gets involved. Ray tries to get involved, and uh, he has more drama with the son. And then we get, just at the right time, we get Beth Phoenix coming down and having a stare down with Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley, who we're going to talk about later. Um, nobody will quit, nobody will quit. We take out Ray. I think somebody else, I think, oh no. I thought AJ Styles was going to be the next one to, uh, to come down and get involved, and that didn't happen. So that felt kind of weird. Beth Phoenix comes down and she has her moment, has her stare down with Beth Phoenix, but then Rhea Ripley gets the brass knucks and knocks her out. Now, I really want to say something about Rhea Ripley here because this is a nitpick that I don't think most people are going to have. You could have just had Rhea Ripley knock her out. You could have just had Rhea Ripley knock her out. I don't think you need the brass knucks because Rhea Ripley, presented the way she's supposed to be presented, doesn't need a pair of brass knucks to knock somebody out. I won't 
take the piss out of them too much for that. That's just my personal opinion. But then we have the whole thing where um, uh, they have they have Edge sort of spread out in like preacher pose in front of Beth, and they're they're threatening to give her the concerto. Uh, sorry, the one-person concerto, and Edge finally quits because he's trying to save his wife. A lot of us thought that they were going to do something with Ray and the mask and all that sort of thing. Other cool things that could have happened, but they tried to do uh, they tried to do it with Beth instead, which makes more sense if we get into what we're going to talk about with Rhea Ripley later on. Uh, obviously, he quits. They do the concerto anyway. They all leave. They're all evil bastards. It's fine. The fight pit... I don't know what to say about the fight pit. The fight pit was what it was. Daniel Cormier wasn't uh, a really big distracting factor. He had one moment with each of them where it's like, hey, I'm the law. I'm the I'm making the rules in this cage. You guys aren't going to shove me around. But he did it to both of them, which was cool. They played up the story initially that he has no favorites because he knows Riddle, but he's also a fan... Or, sorry, yeah. He knows Riddle. He's also a fan of Rollins. They did the stuff up on the stageway, and I will take the criticism that if nothing's legal up on the stageway, then why bother having it, but if you don't have it, then it's just a cage match, so you have to do some stuff there. Riddle coming off the top of the stageway, looking like he had shattered his tailbone, was kind of uncomfortable, not gonna lie, and he finally gets the win, like Riddle finally gets the win, it's all good, he goes on to other things, and Rollins had to carry his injuries from this match into Monday Night Raw, which we're going to talk about shortly. It didn't end up being an issue, but we can talk about when we, when we get there. And then Triple H does a Triple H thing. He does what he did at TakeOver. Um, he does what he did specifically with Gargano and Ciampa when we, when uh, fans nicknamed Ciampa the post-credit killer for a little bit because the little uh, copyright thing comes up in the bottom of the screen. That's when you know it's about to go to black, but instead... Lights go out. Commentary sells it a little too hard. Oh my god, are we still on the air? Could have done without that. Um, and then the sound kicks in. You got Bray Wyatt singing. He's got the whole world in his hand. And between every line, there's a spotlight in the crowd on somebody else. And it's somebody in a Mercy the Buzzard costume. And it's somebody in a Huskus the Pig Boy costume. And it's somebody in a Abby the Witch costume. And it's somebody in a Fiend costume. And it's somebody in a Rambling, Rambling Rabbit costume. The uh, I will say, the guy that they had in the Fiend mask looks like he just showed up in a black raincoat, which was awkward, but I mean, not everybody has dreads like Bray. And then they go to the screen. Or sorry, no. I gotta get this right. I didn't take enough notes for this. They have a doorway. Uh, on the rampway, which is always fun. When there's a doorway, but there, it's a doorway to nothing, it always makes me think of the uh, the APA poker room, where everybody always walked around the door frame. but that's not what they were going for here. They had really creepy light shining behind it, and then it went to something on the Tron. It showed the Firefly Funhouse, covered in cobwebs and all dark and spooky looking, and it's been abandoned because Bray hasn't been around here for a while. And then you see that new that new mask that we we've, we come to know, now and uh it says who killed the world you did and it's that mask and i know people hate this comparison i i will make the comparison but i don't hate it it looks like the mask from ethan Hawke's recent movie the black phone and it's different enough that it's not like a ripoff and i don't mind that because that movie is creepy as hell and those masks that he had in that movie were really great Side note, if you go watch The Black Phone, try your hardest to forget that it's Ethan Hawke in the mask and just picture the mask and it's it's really good. 
But then you finally go, screen goes black, we go to the door, there's a light from behind the door, and you finally see the lantern. The lantern comes in and somebody walks in and they're wearing that same black phone mask. And that person takes off the mask and there's nothing else, there's no fiend, there's no nothing else. It's just Bray Wyatt. And you can't hear it because the crowd is that loud, but he does the, I'm here, blowing out the lantern. Now, the lantern is always funny when he blows out the lantern because it's clearly a flashlight, but it is what it is. The pops, the sustained pops, the from the first time we heard him sing to the Huskus person, to the Abbey person, to the Ramblin' Rabbit person, to the Fiend person, to Bray Wyatt physically walking out on stage in the mask, to him unmasking and blowing the lantern out. Every single pop climbed on the next one, on the last one, on the next one, on the last one. I know this isn't for everybody. I know this shit isn't for everybody. I get it. I understand it, right? But in wrestling, nothing is for everybody. Right now, if we can say, you know, the Bucks doing shitty gymnastics, it's not for me, but I'm happy other people enjoy it. If I see, you know, when the GCW guys come on to AEW for a night and they do all their light tube stuff and the explosions that don't work and the barbed wire that may or may not be real and whatever, whatever, not for me, but clearly somebody's having a good time. Now, we can do that for anything. You can do that for cruiserweight wrestling. You can do that for brawling. You can do that for grounded, technical, like, pure wrestling or whatever you want to say. Why can't we do it for character work like this? And not, this is not me trying to sing Kumbaya and say, why can't we all get along? But why is this the one genre of wrestling that, if it's not your thing, gets universally slaughtered? I could do without ever seeing a strong style match in my life. I could do without ever seeing a, you know, flaming light tube go through somebody's eye socket or whatever. But I'm happy to have people go enjoy that. If that's your thing, please, you know, get tested after the show, whatever. But I don't get, and I never will get, and I don't want people to get up in the comments like, you oh, know, it doesn't make any sense. Well, okay. You're, the company that you probably watch has aliens and dinosaurs on it. So, I don't know. This was so good. And this was like, I, uh, I'll i use an example for myself, right? I don't particularly like pop music. But if I hear a good pop song, I'll admit it's a good pop song. I don't particularly like country. It's rap for rednecks. But if I hear a good country song... I'll admit that it's a good country song. I don't particularly like Nickelback, and I'll use a specific example. I don't particularly have any love for Nickelback, but there's a couple of songs from their early days that I will say, yeah, that's really good, even though it's not for me. Even if this is not for you, this and how we got here, and the story behind the actual fucking human being behind this as well, let's not leave that out of the conversation either, was fucking awesome. That's all I got. And I'm not, I'm not trying to sit here and get angry with you guys. I'm not trying to hear, sit here and, and, uh, and lecture people on how to be wrestling fans. Because that, like, assholes do that. Uh, JD from New York's and Deluxe-mans and Michael Sidgwick's from What Culture do that. Oh, if you don't like what I like, you're a goldfish. Okay, well, you can fuck off. Go drown with your goldfish. It's fine. But what I am saying, as somebody who is incredibly a fan 
of this stuff. You guys know me. I've I've stood up for a lot sillier stuff than this. And don't get me wrong, for the AEW fans out there that think I'm targeting them, I like Abaddon. I like Luchasaurus. I like that we now have Dark Luchasaurus. It's awesome. I think um, Chris Statlander, I don't think she's doing the alien thing as much anymore, but it's awesome. But it's a lot sillier and a lot less effort than this. I like Kevin Thorne, Malachi, uh, Mordecai, Malachi Black, Alistair Black, both groups that he had in both companies. I like the Boogeyman. Give me Kevin Thorne, like I said. Give me The Undertaker, The Boogeyman. Uh, give me Kane. Give me the, you know, Warlord and Barbarian. Give me all of this fucked up. Give me all of this fucked up shit. Give me the Demon Finn Balor. And give me this. Because I loved this. I thought this was fucking great. Even if nothing had gone right on this show, if they gave us this at the end, five stars. I don't care. I don't care if it's in the Tokyo Dome or not. Anyways, moving over to not only Monday Night Raw, but the 25th anniversary of DX, which is always going to be uh, Ghost at the Feast because Billy Gunn is in AEW, and unfortunately China is no longer with us. So you've got the four members of DX, and all the video packages were edited to have only the four of them, and that's weird and whatever. We started it off with the DX pre-tape backstage, and them all swearing and whatever. Triple H in the, I think they still call it the gorilla position, uh, with the headset on being the boss, and they're ripping on him for, you know, going up and being a corporate guy now, and we can't swear anymore, and oh my god, we've all got our cocks out, and it's like four rubber chickens on the back of his computer. And it's stupid. Yes, it is. I don't care. I like DX. DX is awesome. People that are still to this day saying Triple H makes everything about him, even though he's created the best thing in WWE in the past, like, 20 years in the creation of NXT, which only serves to promote and get ready other talent, so... And he's not wrestling anymore, so, like, fuck off. Let him have some fun. Poor Shawn Michaels lost all his hair, and he's kind of, you know, he's having a time. Road Dog's gone and, and come back. X-Pac, everybody seems to like, so let's just, like, spread that across to, to everybody else. It was good. It was harmless. It made me think of the old, uh, DX State of the Union thing that they did in the early, early days of DX that was meant to look like a presidential address, and they were making fun of all the swear words that they couldn't say. It was a lot of fun. It was fine. It took up hardly any time. Um, Bloodline was on Raw. Now, I thought, I thought there was going to be a face-to-face -face between DX and the Bloodline. That did not happen. There was an opening promo, um... Roman's like addressing Jey Uso and how he's not being part of it, uh, being part of things, and how the the loudest person in the group is typically the person that causes the most problems and all that kind of thing. Sami Zayn, because Sami Zayn's great, interrupts Roman and says, "You know, you don't need this on your plate anymore. Let Jay be my problem now." And Roman has now left Jay. There's going to be more on this, because we're going to talk about it during SmackDown as well. But Roman has now left Sami Zayn in charge of Jey Uso, which is fine, because Jimmy Uso is Sami's friend, and he thinks it's hilarious, and Solo Sokoa has, like, this instant respect for Sami Zayn, and I don't know what we're supposed to think Roman thinks of Sami right now. Does he, like, genuinely respect him? Is he amusing to have around? Is he somebody that he just sees a use for, so, like, you can stay as long as you stay useful? It's very ambiguous how Roman thinks of it directly, but he's also very amused by the whole situation because 
cousins, brothers, siblings, whatever, the whole thing is like they all nitpick at each other. And the best way that big cousin Roman Reigns can nitpick at, at Jey Uso is to put this guy in charge. Because Jey Uso, I've used, this, I've used this example a million times, we've all been there. We've all been there in a group of friends where everybody thinks that everybody else is great. And you know that there's one person in that group of friends in your social circle that's an absolute shithead and nobody else sees it. And it is, I will speak from personal experience and I will keep saying this as long as it keeps being true. I will speak from personal experience. It is probably, as far as a social dynamic, it is probably the most maddening social uh, situation that you can be in. And I think the more, and we'll, and we'll talk about this more again on SmackDown, the more this goes along, because the bloodline was all built around Roman Reigns. Sami Zayn wants to be in a group with Roman Reigns. The bloodline, or the, the Usos, are loyal to Roman Reigns. Solo Sokoa was brought in at the last minute to protect the title of Roman Reigns. I hate to break it to you, and I, I, I don't know whether this is a, a hot take or not at this point anymore. The, the bloodline right now, as much as it's built around Roman Reigns, the bloodline right now is the Jey Uso story. The absolute mental breakdown that is coming from Jey Uso is the singular most anticipated story beat in pro wrestling. It's way better than we were tag team partners and then we split and then we had a match and I lost so I went away for a while, drank with some jobbers, slapped some sperm up my wife, got a baby, came back and got gifted a title. I'm sorry, it just is. Um, not to be outdone, Riddle, fresh off his victory from the fight pit, comes out and challenges Roman Reigns. And, I'll give them credit, he actually, I, uh, he actually acknowledged, pun intended, the uh, stipulation from SmackDown where they basically said, if you don't beat Roman Reigns for the championship, you cannot have a, ch uh, ch uh, bleh, I can speak, I swear. A championship opportunity against Roman Reigns as long as he's the champion. I do want them to go at some point because he was the universal champion. Now he's the WWE Undisputed Universal Champion. So it's technically a different title. I want them to play up that at some point because that's the kind of nitpicky shit that I love. But he says, I know I know we had that stipulation and I know I lost, but come on, give it to them. Give it to them in uh, New York City. Weren't they in Madison Square Garden or was it Barclays? I don't remember. Not gonna lie. Um... Sami Zayn, once again, steps up, accepts the challenge. Instead, we're going to get Sami Zayn versus Riddle later on in the night. That's good shit. Gargano versus Theory. Um, good match. Good match. I wanted there to be so much... I wanted there to be bullshit in this match. I wanted the Alpha Academy to get involved. I wanted this to be maybe the first time we see Candice LeRae and Johnny Gargano out as a couple. Maybe you acknowledge... The, uh, the the history between them and Dexter Loomis. Maybe you start telling a story about, uh, about uh, what's his name, Champa coming back to, to Gargano. I don't know whether that's a thing, but this was just a match. And there was this weird uh, baseball slide brain buster off the apron into the into the guardrail by theory, which was nice. And then you get all the good stuff from Gargano. You get a slingshot spear. You got a suicide DDT on the floor. Um, and then one final beat for the win. And I just... I'm usually the one that says, if you give me a great match with a great story behind it, uh, I can't really fault it. But in this case, it was like, I wanted there to be more. I wanted this to be the first step to something bigger. Now... 
I would say are they getting the way back together, but I don't want Gargano to go heel, and I don't think Theory works as a face, so bring them all back together as tweeners, including Dexter Loomis, I don't know. I do think they need to bring Indy Hartwell up from NXT to sort of complete this story. Um, I mean, Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell could go for the tag team titles, that's fine. Rey Mysterio versus Chad Gable. Again, another match with Really, really, I don't even—I uh, don't want to say this without sounding condescending. Very, very capable guys of putting on a really, really good match, but it's really, really bland um, until Rhea, Rhea Ripley, and Dominic Mysterio show up on the rampway again. Rhea has a Beth armband on her arm, the way they do when somebody passes away, or the way that some wrestlers do when they want to acknowledge a terrorist organization. But we don't need to talk about that right now, because that gets me yelled at on Twitter. Ray still gets the win, which I don't think was necessary. Dom challenges Ray. Um, Ray fights off everybody else and hits 619s on everybody, and much like I said about Bianca Belair at the pay-per-view, comes out way too clean for all the things working against him, because Alpha Academy was out there, and the full strength of the Judgment Day was out there, so you don't need to come out that clean. Judgment Day, after we come back from break, um... Oh my god, I really can't read my writing today. Sorry, guys. Um, they cut a promo. They brag about beating Edge at Extreme Rules. They try to recruit AJ again. They call him out, and, you know, I'm kind of getting sick of this. Come out, give us an answer, yes or no. AJ Styles gives this really, this really weird, weirdly good promo because he starts talking about, hey man, I'm not out here to fight you guys. Listen to what you said, whatever, all the stuff that we've been through, all the history, all up and down the roads, and you're right, I am by myself, and, you know, what I need are friends. More than friends, I need family, I need a brother, and am I my, and should I be my brother's keeper? And I thought that was really cool, because he gave Finn a hug, but he bowed to him, first of all, like he was bowing down to the group to ask to be part of it. And um, Finn gives him the big smile and the big hug, but he's still holding the microphone, he's like, oh, when I said brother, I didn't mean you, and fucking Gallows and Anderson are back! So, let's have a brawl. And the OC is back, and that's going to be a thing now. We needed something to have a clean break between Rey Mysterio and the Judgment Day, because as, I, as, we, as we will see when we get on to SmackDown, that is in fact a clean break. So, you, you needed something that could be three on three, because you needed something that would say, this is not just Damian Priest and Finn Balor, and Rhea Ripley, and we've got Dominic Mysterio over here as our pet, we needed something to say that Dominic was actually a member of the group, and to do that, you needed a three-on-three -three feud, and it was it was getting stale. Um, you, we, you could say the same thing when The Shield first came about, you could say the same thing when The Wyatt Family first came about, it was getting kind of stale. Hey, this random group of three people, what was it like, I don't know, oh, Madcap Moss and AJ Styles and... Rey Mysterio at one point, taking them on or whatever. Um, so this is cool. This is good. Obviously, you can play off the Bullet Club history without ever saying Bullet Club because they were too sweet and all over the fucking place. Uh, we are going to get to AJ Styles versus Finn Balor at some point, and that's going to be great because even when it wasn't even in the plans and people got the mumps and, and AJ Styles came in at the last minute to face the demon all those years ago. It was really good. And then they did the two-sweet after the match and everybody creamed their jeans. So now we can do it this time 
with a reason, which is good. And we've got another faction. WWE is doing the faction thing. Let's do uh, WWE uh, six-man tag titles. Oh, yes. Um, I'm being a sarcastic asshole because I'm tired and my voice is wavering. I apologize. Uh, we see Roman leaving. He leaves Jay to make sure that Sammy gets the win tonight. He says, no, 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 no. Solo's coming with me. You're staying to make sure Sammy wins, which is nice. He continues to lose his mind. Bailey versus Candice LeRae. Bailey versus Candice LeRae. Um, I like Candice LeRae. There's nothing in me that wants Candice LeRae to come in and immediately lose, but the whole match is one-sided for Bailey and Candice LeRae turns the rose plant into a quick roll-up. Uh, didn't need to happen like that. I mean, you could have. I'm not upset about. I'm not upset about the the result in this case. Make it presented as a more even match, and then you know, going for a desperation finisher into a roll-up would have made more sense. Three-on-two beatdown by Damage Control, and Bianca Belair comes out to make the save, because of course she does, because Bianca Belair saves everything. She rides in on her white horse and saves the world, and I don't know what's going on with Alexa Bliss and Asuka, because they were written off so that they wouldn't be there on the pay-per-view, but they weren't here tonight either. And you gotta believe that the four of them are taking on Damage Control and somebody... Uh, in the War Games match. I really, the more I think about it, I think I said this last week, the more I think about it, the more I want it to be Nikki Cross. Cross. Get rid of the ASH thing. Uh, Rhea Ripley is, uh, is, Rhea Ripley's bigger than the War Games match. Sounds really strange because Rhea Ripley is the exact type of person who's already been in War Games who could help them introduce it to the main roster and you could have very much a Matt Riddle type situation. Matt Riddle was the guy to introduce us to the fight pit because it's kind of his thing. Rhea Ripley was a Rhea Ripley and Candice LeRae that had the great two-on-four victory in the women's war games. Yes, it was, because that was the night that uh, Dakota Kai turned on Tegan Knox and Mia Yim, I think. Somebody's going to correct me down in the box below. Uh, so as much as I would love to see Rhea Ripley, in that, uh, in that scenario, I would much more like it to have Nikki A.S.H. become Nikki Cross, be maybe absorbed by Damage Kataral, and, uh, and tell a story going that way. Um... I'm not going to say much about the Miz's birthday segment. Dexter Loomis popped out of a hole in the table and choked him out, and then the whole crowd chanted, eat the cake, at him. Oh yes, and he popped two big uh, gymnasium buso balls because the whole Miz's balls thing is still a thing, and they're going to have a match next week, which is technically today, so yeah. That was that. Was that. She, the, Maurice gave him a big bat and two balls. And Dexter popped them, and then he ate some cake. After they really failed to put Maurice into the cake, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, in the back, we see two jobbers that are getting ready to face Omas. DX gives them a pep talk, and then they immediately turn around and it's like, yeah, they're they're gonna die. And then the Miz is in the back yelling about what just happened with Dexter Loomis and the Road Dog. I love this too because this is the kind of thing it's gonna wind up like the um, the Riddle thing, Riddle challenging Roman Reigns. All the people on Twitter would want to say, but but there was a stipulation all this time ago on SmackDown, and WWE doesn't stick to their stipulations. Now, in this case, Road Dog coming in and uh, and setting up a match for next week between Miz and Dexter Loomis, 
uh, I could see those same people. Be, but 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 why do why is he the character that's that's suddenly making all the matches? Who who's the real authority figure? Where's where's that Alan Pierce or whatever? The, no, no 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 You can see all those people too, because DX looked at him afterwards. Like, do you have the can, do you have the ability to do that? And he shrugged it off. He said, Well, I just did. <laughs> I love that. I love. I love the way WWE is booking now in such a way that is immediately meant to put up a middle finger to the weirdos on Twitter that get hung up on all the wrong things. And then Omos kills some jobbers, and in my notes it says, I really want Omos to face Braun Strowman. More on that later. We replay the entire Wyatt return, which was awesome. Which was absolutely awesome. Lashley has to, has to defend his United States Championship against Seth Rollins. Now, Lashley's 100%. Lashley's the almighty. He's the guy on the podium. He looks like the guy on the top of a trophy. He's the wrecking machine, Bobby Lashley. And he's taking on Seth Rollins, who got his ass handed to him in the fight pit last night. How could this possibly go? He comes out and he talks about what it means to be United States champion. He's going to uphold it with all the with all the dignity and blah, 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 Bobby Lashley promo, blah, blah. And then Lesnar comes out. And he high-fives the crowd, and he puts his cowboy hat on the on the turnbuckle post, and he says, Hello, everybody. Hello, Bobby. F5, German suplex. F5, Kimura. Leaves Bobby Lashley dead in the ring. <laughs> and this is good, too. Not only does it, like... Bobby Lashley's not getting stale like Bianca Belair is getting stale, but his like super good guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna carry this belt and I'm gonna give you a good fight. Gosh darn it, it's getting a bit stale as well. Uh, I mean, he's not hitting people with a with a braid to win matches and cutting people's skin open, but uh, it's still getting weird. Um, again, all the weirdos on Twitter because. Brock Lesnar isn't allowed to be a thing, according to them. Uh, got all upset. And then Rollins comes down, walking into an, an entirely Rollins-esque situation. He's completely taped up from the from the cage match and all that sort of thing. He's selling all his injuries and whatever. He, he says, hey, you know, what's up? I'm, I'm here for our title match. And he's, oh, what, what are you, Bobby? I thought you were a fighter. I thought you were a fighting champion. Long pause, long pause, long pause. Rollins wins the U.S. title is <laughs> is the end of this story because baby faces are idiots in wrestling. That's that's the thing about all that. Rollins deserves some. Rollins has laid down on his back for so many people in the past little while, and Bobby Lashley ain't going anywhere. He's gonna have a feud with Brock Lesnar, which is gonna be put on a high pedestal because it's Brock Lesnar, not because it's Bobby Lashley. So everybody wins. Seth Rollins with that championship, at least for the short term, because Roman Reigns is mostly the champion on SmackDown, even though he carries both. You need a champion on Raw that's actually interesting, and that's Seth Rollins. That's not exactly Bobby Lashley. And we've got one more match for Crown Jewel in... Um, Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley, I guess. And that doesn't need the U.S. title. There is no conceivable rhyme or reason why Brock Lesnar would be fighting for the U.S. championship. There just isn't. And I mean, considering they're in the same building, maybe, you know, Logan Paul wins the unified championship and then he goes on to face Brock Lesnar. Because that, again, will wind all the right people up. Totally randomly, how's this for a graphic? 
Elias is back tonight on Raw, so tune in for that. I really like that. Again, it's just Triple H correcting stupid stuff that was done by other people. Um, Riddle versus Sami Zayn is is a match. The Usos are outside. Riddle gets the win because Sami Zayn tells Jey Uso to like, you know, don't fuck up my match. I can, I can win. I can beat this. I can do this for the family. And Jay says, fine. And Jay stops Jimmy from helping him too. And Riddle gets the win. And commentary goes into overdrive, saying, oh my God, what's Roman Reigns gonna gonna think about this on uh, on SmackDown or whatever else? And then DX just came out and did DX stuff for five minutes. And again, it's one of those, like, it's a nostalgia thing. It's just a nostalgia thing. Nostalgia's cool. As I say, I came back from the Destiny show tonight. They crowned their first ever uh, Destiny Wrestling Tag Team Champions. And it went to Fuerza and Vertigo, which is really, really cool. But also really, really cool. The guest referee was Lance Storm. And he got to get a couple super kicks in towards the end of the match. And it was all good. And did anybody complain? No, because a little bit of nostalgia is good. DX coming out, doing the doing all the catchphrases and whatever. They got the, you know, Road Dog did his New Age Outlaws thing. And the crowd got to do the badass bit gun bit. Uh, X-Pac, as always, took a minute to acknowledge the per the other person that wasn't there in China. She got a round of applause. No interruption, no burying anybody. People got wound up about this, need to, need to find a real problem. I think it's really fun, but then again, I would, wouldn't I? Uh, <laughs> DX was made exactly for me, and it came... DX... Because of the age that I am, and no, I'm not going to tell you guys how old I am. You guys can figure it out, I think. Because of the age that I am, DX came along at just the right time. And you know what? As you grow up and you realize how much life sucks, you want to think about when things were funny and people were getting gooed and there were dick jokes and it was just fine. Like, the guy that people didn't like because he was a little bit rude could still be the champion because he was fucking awesome. Leave DX alone. They can come back every week. Let Kane come back, too. People that are upset that Sarah Logan might have a job again because of political shit. Your weird people stop being weird. Speaking of weird, let's go over to SmackDown. Uh, we open up with an accident scene where Karrion Cross's car has been hit. They never really say whether it was by Drew McIntyre, but as he's being seen by the the medical establishment, Drew attacks an already injured Karrion Cross. I'm sure they're just going to say that Drew hit him with a car and then started to beat him up. But I almost think it would be better and show a little bit of a breakdown on Drew's part if he just happened to see a fender bender in the parking lot, took advantage of it, and started beating up Karrion Cross. That would be a more interesting and a slightly less cookie-cutter story, in my humble opinion. We start off the night with uh, Kofi Kingston versus Sami Zayn, which was announced on Twitter, which is kind of meh. Now, also announced on Twitter was we were supposed to get a Fatal 4-Way number one contenders match for the Intercontinental Championship. It was supposed to be Ricochet versus Sheamus versus Solo Sokoa versus Karrion Cross. But Karrion Cross has now been in a car accident and beaten up after the car accident. So... Uh, speculation abounds, right? It's it's kind of funny because they didn't advertise, and this is again, this is a nitpicky thing, but it's just something I thought of, right? Because of the story that unfolds throughout the night, I would have wanted people to be thinking about this match for a week. Like, I don't think I'm not again. AEW does this a little bit too far the other way. WWE doesn't do it enough. AEW does it too much. Both companies are in the wrong. Let me be clear on that. Uh, I don't think you need to tell people every single thing that's going to happen on the show next week. 
Some things can be a surprise. Some things can be random. Uh, have one or two things to sort of top and tail a show and maybe something fun in the middle and then let the rest happen naturally. I think that's where AEW falls down a little bit other than, you know, the fact that they don't treat their good stars very well at all. Um, but th in this case, because of the story that they told over the course of this week's SmackDown, I think they maybe should have... Um, promoted the fatal four-way i don't think they maybe knew it was happening that's fine whatever it is it is what it is but on the night you you saw on social media whether it went out thursday night or friday morning or whatever we were going to get kofi kingston versus Sami Zayn, and we were going to get this fatal four-way that i just mentioned now kofi kingston versus Sami Zayn has a lot of layers to it Sami Zayn being part of the bloodline the bloodline including the usos kofi kingston being part of the new day who have the tag team title record that the usos want to beat um, it all sort of layers up nicely because where Jey Uso specifically would not give a shit about helping uh, Sammy on Raw because he doesn't want to be attached to this guy, he would want to help Sami Zayn on SmackDown put a chink in the armor of Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods as they head towards that tag team championship record. Obviously, they're building to one more round of New Day versus Usos, which doesn't hurt my feelings. In the slightest, New Day come down to the ring cutting a promo about their tag team title record and how much it means to them, and they're not going to let the Usos take it. Rada, rada, rah. Then we cut to the back. Sami Zayn bossing around Jey Uso, and when Jey Uso is about to fight back, Sami Zayn, because he's got his cell phone with him while he's going down to the ring, um, gets a call from Roman Reigns, they're joking around, Jay feels very left out, and then Jay gets told off over the phone by Roman Reigns, and continues to melt down. <sighs> the match itself, I mean, take all the story out of it. There's, like I said, there's tons of layers of storyline. But, I mean, I, I will still say, to this day, Kofi Kingston was not a good world champion. He just wasn't, in my opinion. Uh, top of the mid-card, very, very, very good wrestler. Don't get me wrong, not a great world champion. But you tell me that Kofi Kingston is going to fight Sami Zayn. I don't care what the what the stage is. I don't care whether it's in front of five people in a bingo hall. Sami Zayn, Kevin, or Sami Zayn, Kofi Kingston is going to be a good match, and it was a good match. Uh, Jey Uso. Oh, it was only Jay that was out with him as well because Jimmy was off handling other family business which never really gets addressed again in this, I don't think. Um, Jay takes out Xavier Woods on the outside. There's distractions. There's lots of near falls. Um, Sami Zayn gets rolled up, and Jay does what Jay and Jimmy used to do a bunch when one of them would be uh, trying to get a roll-up. The other one would sort of stick their feet in and hold the roll-up in place. And he did that for Sami Zayn, which I thought was really cool. Because, again, it's an Uso move, and the Usos are the ones that are worried about the New Day, and there's lots of story to be told there. But Sami Zayn doesn't acknowledge it, or realize it, or however you want to say it. But that's... it is what it is. And, we, and the story will continue throughout the night, but I just thought, not only for him to help him, but to help him in that way specifically. Because I think that that assisted pin thing that they the Usos got known for for a little bit, I think they started doing that against the New Day. I could be wrong. Somebody will tell me if I'm wrong down in the box below. It's fine. In the back, we see Triple H, who's obviously talking to the cops because of the hit and run on Karrion Cross. Um, basically, they step away, and we see Rey Mysterio, which is a little bit odd. Rey Mysterio is a raw guy, for whatever that means. 
Um, Ray gets really serious with him. He says, you know, I don't know if I can do this anymore. You see all this stuff that's going on with Dominic and the Judgment Day and whatever. And he says he wants to quit. And Triple H is like, no, 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 don't, don't let's get ahead of ourselves. Don't let's jump to any conclusions or whatever. Give me five minutes. Come to my office. Give me five minutes. Let's see what we can do about it. Which is kind of cool. Uh, and maybe this is just the way I watched the show. I watched this show directly after going out to see Halloween Ends. Halloween Ends fucking awesome. If you're a horror movie go fan, go see it. We see Roxanne Perez on SmackDown in the back. Um, for those of you that don't follow NXT or didn't listen to my NXT review, basically what's happening is Roxanne Perez and Cora Jade are picking each other's poison for next week's episode of NXT. Um, this is partially because they need to build up the show because AEW is doing some evil counter-programming and moving Dynamite to Tuesday. Um, yes, I'm saying that intentionally to wind people up. Uh, basically, Roxanne was coming to SmackDown to pick an opponent for Cora Jade. Cora Jade's going to go to Raw and pick an opponent for uh, Roxanne Perez. I am going to vote for Rhea Ripley, but we will talk about that later. She's in the back. She's talking to Shotzi Blackheart. They're all buddy-buddy. Raquel Rodriguez comes in and joins them, and he says, hey, you know, you got this thing going on with my old NXT tag team partner, and she says, yeah, that's why, why I'm on SmackDown. I kind of wanted to choose you as her opponent. So we're getting Cora Jade versus Roxanne Perez, or sorry, Cora Jade versus Raquel Rodriguez before we get Cora Jade versus... Roxanne Perez at Halloween Havoc, which is next this coming Saturday, I believe. I might do a preview. I might do a preview instead of my normal NXT review. We will see how that goes. Damage Control come in, come into the locker room just from just off camera because that's where all wrestlers live. Bailey saying, "Well, you know, you're an idiot. You came all the way to SmackDown. You could have chosen me." <laughs> Roxanne Perez looks at her and says, "Yeah, I was kind of looking for you. I was kind of thinking about choosing you, but you're on a bit of a losing streak right now." <laughs> Which did make me laugh. I'm not going to lie. Strowman comes out to squash two jobbers, and in my notes, it says, in advance, in brackets, oh my god, I should make the point that uh, I really want him to face Omos. And then Omos showed up in the crowd, and they shouted at each other for a bit. And Strowman looked at Omos in the crowd with a menacing face while he got his pinfall and all that kind of thing. So we are going to get that probably at Crown Jewel, but that's okay. So Crown Jewel looks kind of fun already. If you got Omos versus Strowman with MVP on chirping on the outside, which would be just fine. Uh, Bobby Lashley versus Brock Lesnar. And then you've got Roman Reigns versus Logan Paul. And except for Logan Paul, that's a whole lot of, uh, what, 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 what would uh, Big E say? A whole lot of big men slapping meat. Oh, uh, man. In the back, we see the Usos. They find... <laughs> They're, the Usos are there, Solo Sko is there, Sammy's there, and he's like, oh, you're welcome, and he's like, what are you talking about, I just, I just beat Kofi Kingston, and he's like, no, 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 you're kidding, you're, 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 this is a rib, you're playing with me, right, Solo, you saw it, right, he's like, nah, man, I just, uh, I saw Sammy get the win, man, Sammy, there's a lot I could learn from you, <laughs> and the meltdown of Jey Uso continues, <laughs> and I'm sorry, I, I can't help but laugh, because, Jey Uso, I've said it before, I've said it in multiple podcasts at this point, I even said it in the raw portion of this podcast, Jimmy Uso is going to, or sorry, Jey Uso is going to have a breakdown, and we're going to come to the point where he he's going to have a breakdown, he's going to be seen as the problem, they're going to kick him out of the bloodline, and Sami Zayn is still going to be part of the family, 
And I think that's fucking wonderful. Next thing, next thing, next thing. What's the first thing I mentioned in this podcast? There's no more Max Dupree. There's Maxine Dupree and the Maximum Male Models. And you had Ma, uh, Mansoir taking on... Who was he taking on? It wasn't Max Dupree. It was L.A. Knight. Yeah. Beats him up. Does a speech afterwards. Everybody's on notice. I don't know why you guys are cheering for me. I didn't do that for you. I did it for myself. I don't need... <laughs> cheers from you people in the swamp or whatever the fuck he said you know whose game is it it's la knight's game yeah <laughs> okay la knight's here and we're off to the races and i know we're doing war games and i know everybody's happy that we're not doing brand warfare anymore now brand warfare is a bit ridiculous at this point look at how much crossover is happening the Usos, Roman Reigns, the entire bloodline, uh, the women's tag team champions, which means all of uh, Damage Control crossover onto both shows. There's a lot of it. Rey Mysterio talking to Triple H tonight, etc. But if we were going to have one, if we were just going to have one Raw versus SmackDown match, come on, give me The Miz, who's awesome, versus L.A. Knight, yeah! Just, just, not even a match. Just give them microphones. It'll be fine. It'll be good. It'll be a debate. <laughs> It'll be fine. Damage Control versus Roxanne Perez, Shotzi Blackheart, and Raquel Rodriguez. Tank stuff! It's all good. The, the Taking Care of Business tank is back, and they do, it's actually better than before. Triple H's thing. I'm going to bring it back, this thing that you liked. I don't know why it ever went away, or this person ever went away. I'm going to bring them back, and I'm going to make them better. He did the same thing with the tank. The tank launches pyro that lights more pyro in the ceiling, and it's got Shotzi and Roxy and <laughs> Raquel. I can't say Shotzi and Roxy without thinking they should be the next uh, tag team, because Raquel and Shotzi... Even though they're good, they do have that thrown together value to them. It's a nice pile of people match, and Bailey pins Roxanne, which is fine because, I mean, Roxanne is a pure Snow White babyface. A little bit of sympathy for her. Also makes sense that the actual team versus the three random people teamed up against them does make sense. Also, Bailey should have won on Raw. So, Roxanne pointing out the fact that she was on a losing streak and then being on the, on the losing end of her breaking Bailey's losing streak did have a little bit of poetic justice, even if it was in the heels' favor, which is nice. Uh, we get another Viking promo. It's voiced over by Sarah Logan. Really, really weird people don't want Sarah Logan to have a job. Twitter's a weird place. We uh, replay the debut of Legato Del Fantasma with uh, Zelina from last week. It's Hit Row versus Legato. Uh, it's Cruz Del Toro and Joaquin Wild. Um, they come out with Zelina Vega and Santos, but then Santos and Vega go backstage, and it's just a tag match. And then cheap shots outside by Santos Escobar. Vega takes out B-Fab with a running, uh, what do you say, a running head scissor off the apron, which is fine. Uh, and then they beat them with the... Legato gets the win with the Sacrificio, or Sacrificio, I'm not going to pronounce that correctly, ever, but it's basically a leg sweep running knee strike combination, which looks, it looks like a move that will be better 
once they've done it more. And that sounds really shitty, but it's just how I feel. In the backstage, you got Sonya Deville, who also made a quick return to NXT this past week. Go check out my review. It's fine. She's sort of de facto leader of uh, Toxic Attraction while Mandy Rose isn't there. And she's randomly talking shit and making fun of Liv Morgan. Liv Morgan jumps her, hits her with a bunch of weapons, climbs up a scaffold in the backstage area, and puts her through a table. They're going to have a match next week. That's going to be a lot of fun. Now, Ricochet versus Sheamus versus Solo Sokoa versus Karrion Cross. <clears throat> Not Karrion Cross. Uh, three competitors in the ring, number one contendership match, and the fourth competitor is the newest member of the SmackDown roster, Rey Mysterio. Now, I will laugh, because the balls on Triple H to make a this person's situation is so bad on Raw, we had to move them to SmackDown, when the line between Raw and SmackDown is so bullshit, the balls on Triple H for this are kind of out of this world. Um, like any triple, like any fatal four-way match, you basically have two sets of two matches, right? You have Ray and Ricochet, which is never going to be bad. I will say, these guys fought at Destiny long before I was going to their shows, and this isn't meant to be a plug. Go back to go to the Destiny. Um, the Destiny YouTube channel. I think there's highlights from that match. I think it's actually Ray Ricochet and somebody else. Uh, I could be wrong, but they it's really good, and this is really good, and they did some some pretty high-end shit, I'm not going to lie. On the other side of the coin, you've got an awesome brawl between Solo and Sheamus. The Usos and Sammy run in, they get involved. Ridge and Butch, they get involved. Uh, so, I don't know. Sheamus is taken out of the equation, and... And uh, Solo's taken out of the equation. You're left with Ray and Ricochet, which is kind of nice. Ray pins Ricochet, and he's the next number one contender for the Intercontinental Championship, which means he's going to face Gunther and probably die. Yep. Last thing for the night was the return of Bray Wyatt. And everybody was saying, oh my god, it just better not be another video package and whatever. And it wasn't. It was so not what I was expecting. And I've got to stop not. I've, I've got to stop expecting anything with the Bray Wyatt thing. Is my my personal take, because he came out and he was. They did the door thing again. The door thing is going to get old. I'll admit that. Came out um, with the lantern. Came out just as himself. Not even really dressed in any particular kind of gear. Like just pants and a black t-shirt. He did come in with the lantern. And then he just spoke to us as what I will say, basically, Wyndham Rotunda. Basically talked about the struggles he's had since leaving WWE, losing his confidence, feeling weak, feeling like nothing he did mattered, and then thanking the fans who reached out to him in the same way. Like, hey, you know, Bray, you gotta keep doing what you're doing, because you helped me when I was feeling that way, and you saved my life, and Bray says, you know, how the fans um, that made him feel appreciated and showed him that the stuff did matter, that saved his life as well, and I just, I don't want to analyze it too much, because I think this was just, as, as much as it fits into what we're going to talk about in a second, as a story, I think within a story you can say true things as well, and if this was his one opportunity after his comeback to just sort of come and pour it all out on the table for a second, then I think that's almost beyond, that's, that's beyond criticism, that's beyond analysis, that's beyond anything that, you know, podcasters, YouTubers, whatever can really say. I 
was really moved by it. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, as somebody that that you know, first of all, you miss a character, you miss the creative impact that they have on on your chosen form of entertainment. But also, you start hearing things about like you know how he's not doing good, and then obviously when Brody Lee passed away and all these types of things, and you just there is an element of like I. I don't want to take away from people that actually know each other and are actually in each other's social circles with them, but at a distance, there's that, you're only hearing bits and pieces and stories and it's mostly from the dirt sheets and you get to a point where you're like, I just really hope that guy's okay. And this was a bit of like, hey guys, I am okay and I'm okay thanks to all of you. And I really like that. And then obviously the new what I'm going to call the black phone mask, uh, came up on the screen and was making fun of Bray. So clearly there's a uh, dual personality thing going on, uh, which is which is fine. And we can we can do that at a later date. But I also I almost want to save it for a later date because of how real because of how real the um, the promo was, and I don't, I'm, I'm hesitant to even call it a promo, if that makes sense. I'm sort of stumbling over it, because it was kind of serious, and all that kind of thing, and as a fan, whatever you call that little element of, hey man, I just hope that dude is okay, uh, it sounds like he is, and that's, that's just really good. Um... So that's the week. I didn't really do a whole list of, hey, this is everything that's coming up next week. You guys know what's coming up next week. We've got a lot of main roster intervention on NXT this week because uh, AEW's being assholes and counter-programming them. So they got to do what they got to do. Um, a couple of news things I want to hit on just really quickly before we, we get out of here. Rhea Ripley was apparently back in action for the first time in months uh, at a house show. I saw the uh, I saw it on the Twitter feed literally just before I came to record with uh, with you guys. Uh, it was a mixed tag match. It was her and one of the other Judgment Day guys. I think it was her and Damian Priest um, taking on Dolph Ziggler and Nikki A.S.H. So very much a house show match, but just to see her back in the ring is great, and hopefully that means we're going to get her and Beth Phoenix at some point on some big stage. I hope they save it for Survivor Series, and that's why I'm saying I don't necessarily want her in the War Games match. Also, she's coming back from an injury, so maybe don't put her in a cage with nine other people. Uh, but that's just really good. I'm, if you guys can't tell, I'm hugely biased. I'm ridiculous fan of, of Rhea Ripley, and again, it is a little bit of what I said with Bray. It's that little bit of, like, hey, you provide me with a lot of entertainment. I hope you're doing okay. Uh, the other rumor is that we they might be nixing the day one pay-per-view. Um, I didn't know that they were doing one again. I thought that was just because it happened to be on the first... It happened to fall on the first last year, but apparently they were going to do one this year. Apparently Brock Lesnar was going to feature heavily into it. I think we're getting that match at Crown Jewel instead. And what it means at the moment is we're going to have a big gap between Survivor Series and the Rumble, which is fine. It's fine to me because, like, do all the building you need to do and have nothing between the two big, uh, big posts. Because it's the, I think... It's the shortest gap between pay-per-views. You got November, you got January. Uh, I think day one was meant to uh, facilitate there being no December pay-per-view anyway, and day one was kind of there. I mean, it was uh, you go out New Year's Eve and you get shit-faced and you're tired the next day and you don't really want to do anything. Oh, I might as well watch some wrestling. That's uh, that was my, the the feeling that I got with the day one thing. But also New Year's Day, let the wrestlers 
go home and do family shit or recover from the night before, let's be real. Uh, so no more day one uh, pay-per-view. There's potentially a big gap between Survivor Series and the Rumble, but that could be a good thing. We'll see how it goes. Um, what did they used to do? They used to do TLC at the end of the year, just a big messy weapons fest to end the year. And if they bring that back at the last minute or if they put some kind of like... If they, do an, if they run another NXT show because they're doing Halloween Havoc this week and then I don't know what they're doing after that. So if they stick an NXT pay-per-view in in the middle of December, that could be cool. That could fill the gap. Then you've still got a pay-per-view from WWE. So, I don't know. Let me, let me know what you guys think of that down in the box below. No more day one. Rhea Ripley's apparently finally cleared for in-ring competition again, which means hopefully they'll steer her towards a Beth Phoenix thing that I think will be really cool. And that's about it. I, uh, I didn't do, like I said, I didn't do the typical, like, here's what's coming up next week. Here's the big takeaways from the week, because I think I've, I've talked the big takeaways from this week to death. And like I said, I am running on fumes. We're coming up on 1 a.m. here, and this is after me losing my voice at a Destiny show. So, I don't know. I don't have any really concrete way to end off this pod. I hope you're liking it. I hope you guys are liking the, uh, the WWE last week concept. I hope you guys will give my NXT reviews a look. And until next time, I've been Spaz, your YWC reality check. Subscribe up there, talk down there, start a conversation. Keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I will talk to each and every last one of you later, but for right now, I am tagging out. Bye, guys.